couple months ago, Game Builder Garage was announced for the Nintendo Switch, and I was very hyped. I made a bonus points episode. Uh, shout out to Bonus Points, my short form bonus podcast that I upload to the same channel as this podcast. Definitely go check that out. Um, and I talked about how hyped I was for Game Builder Garage. And I shared some of my reasoning behind it. I talked about how I was excited to see what the community would come up with and all of the craziness that people could make with it. And I was also excited to see all of the memes people would make with the game. Um, And honestly, this game came out and I took a couple days to purchase it because I was making a lot of adult spending choices around the same time, like buying new tires for my car, for example. Um, But man, once I did finally buy the game, it really kind of satisfied my gamer urges in a much different way than I expected it to. And that's what I want to talk about today. Uh, In today's episode of the Switched Podcast, I'm going to share my thoughts and opinions on Game Builder Garage. I'm going to go in-depth on uh, comparing it to Sony's Game Builder, known as Dreams, uh, which I think, in a way, they're definitely sort of targeting different markets, and they very much feel like a product of the company that they represent. Uh, Game Builder Garage is restrictive and different in so many ways that make it really feel like a Nintendo product, and I don't think anyone would argue that Dreams is not better than Game Builder Garage, but they're very different products, and I'm going to get into that later as well, as somebody who's played and sunk a decent amount of hours into both of the two Game Builder games. Um, But I've actually also discovered that Game Builder Garage fulfills a very much different sort of uh, entertainment than I thought it was going to. I originally thought I was just going to be downloading uh, memes and like cool little games people made and stuff like that, which I am from time to time. But I've actually found a lot more interest in making games than I ever did in Dreams. Uh, The tools in Game Builder Garage are simple and approachable enough that I, with my very basic programming knowledge, have been able to excel using them Um, and I've been having a lot of fun actually programming games and I want to get into all that today Um, but first why don't we talk about Game Builder Garage and sort of how it came to be I know I talked about some of these points in my bonus points episode um, but I'm going to reiterate a bunch of stuff for people who don't listen to my short form podcast and only listen to the long form one Um, but basically Game Builder Garage got announced a couple months ago And the garage in the name comes from the fact that it actually started out as a bonus, like, mini-game area uh, in Nintendo Labo. Uh, And if you don't know Nintendo Labo, Nintendo Labo is a now-defunct peripheral uh, building kit released by Nintendo, uh, I think, a year or two ago. Maybe longer than that. Shit, I know I had the piano one when I was starting college in 2018, so... Um, But basically, in the box, you got a bunch of cardboard, and the Switch had instructions on how to uh, build this cardboard into different peripherals that you could use with your Switch, and then you played mini-games using the cardboard pieces that you built. And in many ways, um, that concept alone is sort of like being evolved into what Game Builder Garage is. Um, you could sort of think as game get, think of Game Builder Garage as Nintendo Labo without the cardboard. It really feels like it. 
Um, and stylistically, it feels very similar. Uh, but basically, uh, Nintendo Labo, I only bought the variety kit that came with the piano and the fishing rod and all that stuff. And I, ha I still have a couple of them. Uh, but I had to throw a couple of them away because they got water damage when I was moving. Uh, but they were very, very interesting little concepts. The only thing about Nintendo Labo was once you built the cardboard, um, you were sort of, you were sort of done. If you, if you built the cardboard accessories and played the mini games a couple times, you basically got all of the enjoyment you were going to out of Nintendo Labo. And, uh, the building was definitely the funnest part and I think I even still have a couple of the cardboard things to build, and I've just not gotten around to building them. I don't remember which ones it is. Um, but the uh, once you built the cardboard, the minigames were fun enough, but they weren't super complex in any particular way. Um, so you basically got the... F it was sort of like building a Lego set. You built the cardboard thing, you played the minigame, and then you were done. It was a one-and-done kind of experience. And they tried to sort of mitigate that by allowing you to remix the cardboard um, that you were given into different sort of mini-games and tools. And the way they did that was the Labo Garage. Um, hence the Garage and Game Builder Garage. Um, but Labo Garage basically was a very rudimentary uh, programming, visual programming system uh, that allowed you to do some very light uh, mini game style stuff. Like you could make a, um, you could make a mini game where it, where like if you swung the Joy-Con, uh, it would like play a tambourine sound. That's what I did with, uh, the, the Labo Garage. That was my call to fame with that as I made an air drumming game where you sort of drummed out, uh, by swinging the Joy-Con in certain directions to hit certain, uh, pieces of a drum kit. And that was pretty fun to make, not going to lie. And I I quite had a decent bit of fun playing Labo Garage. Um, but that being said, after I finished building most of the cardboard pieces, my time with Nintendo Labo was basically done. And that was the biggest detriment of Nintendo Labo as a whole. Um, people made some pretty crazy stuff. Um, Labo VR Labo and Labo VR Garage were more about making things with uh, the cardboard in mind and um, it being sort of like imagination games more than anything. Like you could make, uh, with the original, you couldn't even do any like art or make any characters really. You were just sort of stuck to having the screen show some basic sprites and then you could do stuff. Um, and then the Labo VR Garage came out, and the Labo VR Garage let you actually make 3D scenes and uh, mess with, like, actually making, like, VR games and stuff like that, and it was pretty cool. Um, and Labo VR Garage is definitely more akin to what Game Builder Garage is. And Game Builder Garage, in many ways, is just an iteration of the Labo uh, VR garage and in some ways even it's a little bit less um, all-encompassing uh, there's some features that were actually removed between Labo VR garage and Game Builder garage such as VR supports which I'm surprised they didn't at least shoehorn it in 
I'm sure though, honestly, you could probably make a Labo VR compatible game with the tools you're given in, in Game Builder Garage by just like modifying uh, the screen and stuff like that. And I'm gonna get into some of the more specific features of Game Builder Garage later on, but I wanted to really fill out this history uh, section first. So basically after um, all of the Labo kits came out, they were relatively successful. Um, but I think Nintendo realized a lot of people were just sort of playing with them once and then either throwing the cardboard away or just having it sit on a shelf. And it took up a lot of space. Um, and that's a big reason why mine sat in my trunk. And I'm pretty sure my fishing rod kit is still in the trunk that, of the car that I'm driving right now. Um, but they realized that the cardboard was sort of becoming the back thing and then after you finish the cardboard people were just fucking around with the garage and making really interesting stuff in the garage so with game builder garage it's believed that they sort of saw that and they're like okay let's just make a game all about the programming that we sort of messed around with in labo um and basically game builder garage as it is feels like labo but without the cardboard and what I mean by that is in many ways um, the Labo experience is still there with Game Builder Garage uh, there's tutorials and the tutorials take you through making seven different games um, and that being said I should preface this by saying as of current I've only played through one of the seven game tutorials um, but I have a good amount of programming experience under my belt. Not enough to do anything fancy outside of Game Builder Garage, but enough to understand programming concepts that I didn't really need the tutorial a ton. So that's something to keep in mind if you're somebody who knows programming pretty well. If you want to pick up Game Builder Garage, you probably won't have to play too many tutorials. And honestly, for me, figuring out the programming stuff is kind of half of the fun, which I'm going to get into that later on. Um, but the tutorials for how to make each game in Game Builder Garage um, is step-by-step -step and really hand-holdy in the same way that Labo VR's cardboard construction instructions were. Basically, you do one step, and the game makes you do that one thing. Um, so, like, you can't connect your nodes to the wrong point or anything like that when you're making a game with the Labo... Or not the Labo Garage, the Game Builder Garage tutorials. So it feels a lot like building the cardboard step-by-step -step in Labo because you're following the instructions step-by-step -step and it shows you exactly what you need to do and you do that step exactly. Um, and so in many ways, I think Game Builder Garage is just a Labo game. And I've said in many ways way too many times in this podcast, so I'm going to try to stop. Um, but Game Builder Garage is definitely a spiritual successor if nothing else to the Labo series so if you've played uh, any of the Labo games and you've messed around with like the mini games in Labo or if you've messed around in the Labo VR garage or the Labo garage in the older one you can kind of get a pretty good sense of what you're getting into with this they even reuse a ton of assets from the mini games in, uh, in the Labo series um, to give you pre-made assets for your Game Builder Garage games. Like the car and the controller, the guy you can control to walk around, 
and there's this like random fluff monster ball thing that was in um that was in labo vr and he makes a reappearance uh so yeah basically there's there's lots of stuff taken from labo vr and shoved into game builder garage and it's pretty um it's pretty excellent to see honestly i'm glad they reuse that our assets So next, let's talk about how Game Builder Garage actually kind of functions. Um, we should probably get into that at some point. So basically, when you hit the title screen of the excellent game, you see interactive lessons or free programming. And basically, free programming will allow you to throw up a blank canvas on the screen and just start programming. Um, whereas interactive lessons, obviously, are lessons that are interactive, as the name implies. Um, and there's sort of that step-by-step, -step, uh, you can't mess up and you have to learn the concepts, guides I was telling you about earlier. Um, they're sort of like, you can think of them as the cardboard instructions from Nintendo Labo. Um, because basically you're just learning step-by-step -step how to actually program using Game Builder Garage's uh, visual programming language. Um, and speaking of Game Builder Garage's visual programming language, it's actually really robust and cool. Uh, there's a couple basic functions that are missing, but nothing you can't replicate by using other functions necessarily. It's not, I wouldn't call it limitless, but I also wouldn't call it limited. It's fairly complex. Um, but basically, it's visual programming. Oh, a train. One second, I'm gonna let the train pass. It's so it's it's visual programming, which means um, rather than you uh, rather than you sort of creating code by typing text, you actually program your games by dropping down um, these nodes on the screen and collect, connecting them with wires. I guess you could call it. Um, and there's lots of popular uh, engines that use visual programming. I know uh, Unreal Engine actually comes with a visual programming core, so you can actually do all of your programming in Unreal Engine just by doing visual scripting, um, which is really cool. Uh, and I know Unity has some plugins that lets you do some basic visual programming as well, but I think the most popular sort of like visual programming tools are like Engine 01. That was one I used back in the day. It's basically like a, a knockoff of RPG Maker that uses all visual programming and it's really simple. Um, and there's a bunch of other ones too. I uh, I know even like that Yo-Yo company that makes Game Maker Studio doesn't use visual programming anymore, but I think they used to. But either way, visual programming is great for beginners because you can apply programming concepts without having to know syntax and without having to know all this other specific stuff that is required to use specific programming languages. Like many times I've tried to learn Unity um, and Unity actually uses C sharp for its programming. I think there's a way you can use a different language too but the main the main one that it uses is C sharp and I don't know C Sharp, so it's been incredibly difficult to try to learn Unity, even though I've tried so many times. Um, 
with that being said, there's other languages um, available as well, and other game makers might use other languages. But basically, Nintendo for Game Builder Garage made its own visual scripting language. Um, and the way they did it is these nodes that are connected with wires to create the program are called nodons. And the nodons are basically uh, different types of pre-programmed chunks that you connect in specific and dynamic ways to create the logic for your game. Um, so when you start out a new project on free programming, which is where I spend most of my time because I actually just played through the first interactive lesson because it's required to unlock free programming and then I jump straight into free programming uh, because I have some knowledge of programming uh, concepts and I know a couple languages myself so it was pretty easy to jump in and I sort of had a basic understanding and there's like documentation just like an actual programming language and everything so I was sort of in familiar territory right off the bat but basically you start with an empty grid on free programming and um, you have a bank of nodons at the bottom of your screen which I didn't even mention yet this game has mouse support and if you're serious about making games on Game Builder Garage in any in any amount, please, for the love of God, use a, use a USB mouse. Just plug a USB mouse into your dock and play that way. Um, touch controls work, but honestly, it's really hard to see what's going on when you're playing in handheld mode. It's really best blown up on a big screen and with a mouse. So I have my Switch dock at my at my computer desk anyway, and I throw it up on my second screen, and that's how I do my Game Builder Garage work, um, is with a USB mouse. I don't even bother unplugging my gaming PC's mouse. I just plug in any old USB mouse I've got lying around. Uh, but, that being said, you have your empty grid, and on the bottom of the screen is the bank of nodons, and they're sort of like input middle output and special nodons I think is what the categories are called and input is basically how you interact with the game so you can think of it like touching a certain part of the screen or pressing a certain button or tilting the controller a specific way or any number of things there's a lot of different ways to input um, and there's even stuff like constants so you could have like uh, something always sending a signal strength of one and you, I think it goes all the way up to a thousand is the maximum sing, signal strength you can send out with a constant. Um, and there's tons of other ones too. I need to before the next segment where I really dive deep into some of the, like the connections you can make, um, take a look at the note on bank and figure out like some of the ones that are interesting. Um, and then the middle is sort of like for logical stuff. Um, so you can do stuff like adding and subtracting, multiplying, dividing. Uh, you can make AND statements, and you can make NOT statements, which in programming, uh, you can think of AND being, uh, in order for uh, C to be true, A and B have to be true. Uh, and if just A is true, it does not work, and if just B is true, it's not going to work either. And that's how AND statements work. And basically, the way NOT statements work is NOT statements means... Um, like if it's not this then you can turn then it'll turn on so you could think of it like 
if C is not equal to 3, then it'll turn on. So if C was equal to 5, then it would turn on. And that's sort of how not statements work. The only thing missing um, is sort of like an if-then kind of thing, which you can sort of emulate with ands and nots. Um, and then there's no, like... There's no variables, if that makes any sense. You can sort of make variables, but there's no way to store a value as easily as a variable in programming. And I think that's one of the bigger weaknesses of the Game Builder Garage system. You can make... I guess the closest thing it has to um, to variables is this thing called wormholes. And basically what wormholes do is you create a wormhole entrance and then you can make as many wormhole exits as you want. So essentially you can send one value into a wormhole entrance and then send that same value out multiple wormhole exits. So in a sense you're creating a variable but you only have 26 of them, one for every letter of the alphabet, which for the scope of Game Builder Garage is enough. Um, but it can get really confusing if you don't remember what your uh, what your wormhole letters represent. Uh, for example, let's say you want to store the number of times the player has pressed the A button. So what you would do for that is you'd basically connect an A button input node to a middle node that's a counter, and the counter basically will tick up every single time the player presses the A button. Um, and then if you wanted to store that as a quote-unquote variable, you'd have to use a wormhole. And you could connect it to wormhole A. And it'd be easy to remember that because it's like A for the A button wormhole uh, for the counter for how many times they've pressed A. But if you need to do anything complex and assign it a letter, it's it's going to be really hard to remember. So thankfully they also included comments in the other category, which I believe it's called other. It might be called something else. I'll double check before next segment. Um, but in the other category, you have stuff like comments and there's cameras and you can, there's like three different types of cameras. There's like a static 2D camera um, where you can pan it left and right and forward and backward, but it's more meant for 2D sort of stuff. Um, and there's also a tr like a regular camera, and that's sort of like the more true camera. You can make 3D games with the regular camera. And in addition to that, there's also this system where you can sort of like parent objects, if that makes any sense. That's sort of like a programmer's term, so I'll explain what I mean. So you can make one object sort of linked to another one where one takes priority if that makes any sense for example let's say you have a cube and you want that cube to look like um, a mario question block with a texture so in that case you would the you'd make the cube a parent object and the child would be the texture um and that's sort of the way linking works in Game Builder Garage. You can link uh, certain nodons together with other nodons in a way where they either attach to certain points uh, and they're stuck together like with a joint. Or you can apply textures. Or you can apply particle effects to certain objects and you can trigger them through various different means. There's lots of stuff you can do with linking and linking is very important. And it's one of the concepts that if you don't play through the tutorials 
is going to be a little more confusing, but I did figure it out eventually. Um, but basically, through free programming, you're sort of in a situation where uh, throughout the course of your time experimenting in Game Builder Garage, which that's what I think is probably the best way to describe it. It's not as much creating super serious projects. It's more experimenting and making fun little projects, which there's nothing wrong with that. And I'll get into that as well later on. But um, you'll you'll come to eventually figure out what some of these things do. And there's some like quirky mechanic things going on. Um, but it's nothing too obscure, and for anyone with basic programming knowledge, you probably won't even really have to do the tutorials. Um, but by all means, I do plan on going back and doing the tutorials, because I know the 3D game tutorials would be especially useful for a project I'm working on now, um, which I'll get into my actual projects I'm working on here in a little bit in the podcast. But I, I do plan on going back to the interactive lessons Um, And even though it's going to be painful to be forced to do step-by-step instructions like that, um, hopefully I can blast through them. But the one thing, too, I think that they really should have done for Game Builder Garage that they didn't is they should have brought back the characters that were included in Nintendo Labo. Um, In between the instruction phase when they were teaching you about certain concepts like how the rumble works on the switch and stuff like that um there were basically these two kids and they were talking to this like scientist guy and the scientist guy explained that vibrations were caused by uh different frequency tones echoing through the joy cons inner chambers and stuff like that um and the kids were like whoa and they were really like fascinated and the science man was cool i don't remember their names they should have brought them back for Game Builder Garage for the interactive lessons because I loved them and Nintendo really did them dirty. Instead, the characters that teach you the concepts in Game Builder Garage are two dots. There's a blue dot named Bob and a pink dot named Alice. And basically, the blue dot Bob is the one that forces you to do step-by-step tutorials Um, And he holds your hand along the way and forces you to only do the right thing as you fill out the step-by-step instructions that he provides for you. And Alice is sort of like the wild card. She makes you do these, like, concept checks where you make sure you actually learned what the game was trying to teach you. Uh, And with that, you actually um, kind of get to mess up. You sort of get thrown in where you can't really make any too big mistakes, but you can connect nodes to the wrong nodons if that makes any sense so alice's alice's like segments are a lot more difficult than bob's um but that's not saying much that's like saying reading a baby's picture book is more difficult than reading one without words or something like that basically the um the way they did the lessons in this is sort of void of character in a very uncharacteristic way for Nintendo. I would have expected Nintendo to have some sort of cool characters or something, but they literally just cheaped out and made two dots be the tutorial people. Like even Mario Maker had like the bird and the woman 
and they weren't super memorable or anything, but they were at least like characters that taught you the concepts of the game. But Game Builder Garage did not get so lucky, and we've got Bob and Alice the Dots. <laughs> Fucking Bob and Alice. Um, so that's it for sort of like the introduction to how the game works. Uh, we're going to continue on here. We're going to talk about some other things next. So next, let's talk about the actual nodons and some of the kinds of different connections you can create. Um, so I mentioned before that there's sort of like a inputs, outputs, middle, and a special other kind of category. Um, and I'm going to talk about some of those and how they sort of intertwine and some of the different ways you can connect them really quickly. Um, so to give sort of like a very basic example, let's say we want to make a person nodon or a people nodon or it's called something like that. Um, move around and jump and everything like that. Um, and this is one of the first things you do in the tutorial um, in Game Builder Garage. But basically what you have to do is you have to create an output node and there's one called a person nodon. Um, and you connect that up. There's basically different ports on the nodon. So you can think of it like a you can think of it like a Lego piece. So imagine a Lego piece, right? And let's say this person nodon is a Lego piece um, with three spots that can attach to other bricks. So it's a three by one Lego piece. Um, you could think of each of those spots as a port, which is kind of what they're called in other visual programming languages. So that's how I'm going to refer to them in Game Builder Garage. Um, and each of those ports correspond to a different function of the nodon, in this case, the person one itself. So one is connected to horizontal control, one is connected to vertical control, and one is connected to jumping. And I think there's maybe even a fourth one in the case of the person nodon that's directly in charge of controlling uh, essentially the... Uh, the way that your character can interact, whether it be punching or using an item, stuff like that. Um, but in this case, you would uh, go to the input category for your nodon uh, and find a button nodon or a stick nodon, I believe is what it's called. Um, and you'd want to get a left-right stick for the left one. And you could hook that up to left and right movement on your person node on. And essentially, when you do make that connection um, and you start up your game, it will make it so your character moves left and right when you press left and right on the control stick. Pretty self-explanatory. Um, and likewise, you could connect a up and down left stick uh, input node on to the uh, forward and backward ports on the person node on um, and that would allow your character to move forward and backward in 3D space which that's not super useful if you're making a 2D game so you can just ignore that if you're making a 2D game but if you're making a 3D game that's very beneficial um, and those two alone are enough to get you sort of uh, left and right forward and backward and it even gives you diagonal movement automatically which is really nice you don't have to do any logic programming to get diagonal movement out of the person node on. Once you have an up and a down and a left and a right, the in-betweens are sort of calculated for you, which is something that's really telling for the simplicity of Game Builder Garage, because a lot of other visual programming languages 
would require you to do some extra step to get that kind of functionality working and would not necessarily have that functionality right out of the gate. Um, and then likewise, uh, you could get a button input node on and hook it up to the jump port on the person output node on. And when you press whatever button you correspond to it, uh, it would make your person jump. And likewise, you could assign B to interacting for punching or something like that. And that's sort of how the basic uh, input-output structure works. In between all of those, you could be putting middle nodons. And middle nodons basically modify the input in some way, shape, or form and change the way that they... the, the way that the current or I guess you could say the value is expressed. For example, if you wanted your character to walk twice as fast, um, you could connect a, a control stick node on, input node on, to a middle node on that does multiplication and takes the value from the control stick and multiplies it by two. And two is actually, you could either do a counter and have it set to two and unchangeable, or you could have a constant node on um, which is basically just has an output only and constantly outputs whatever signal you set it to. Um, and you could make it two, and then that would make it so every single uh, directional input given to um, the person node on from your control stick is multiplied by two, and your character walks twice as fast. Um, and that's sort of how middle node-ons work. There's all sorts of different ones, too. There's, like, uh, multiplication, division, addition, subtraction... You can do absolute values, which is useful in some circumstances. Um, you can do things like and statements, which basically mean if this is true and this is true, then pass through an input to the next item, the, the output node on. Um, or you can have not, which basically means if it's not this, then output constantly. Um, and there's all sorts of useful ones, too. I'm I'm drawing a blank on some of the more specific ones, but there's tons of them that are useful in specific situations. Um, and likewise with input node-ons, there's also stuff like touchscreen control support. So you could add touch points to your game. So if your player touches a certain part of the screen, a certain thing happens in the game. Um, or for example, you could also have gyro control. So if you're player shakes the Joy-Con, certain things could happen, or if they tilt it in a certain way, certain things could happen. There's ton of input, there's ton of inputs, there's tons of different inputs, there's tons of different outputs, and the middle ones are also very plentiful. Um, and they're all laid out in a certain way that it's all a bunch of simple tools that can be used together in complex ways. Some of the more common programming logic systems are sort of missing and as somebody who knows about programming logic I was drastically wishing that there was a more consistent variable system in Game Builder Garage. I don't know if I mentioned this before or not. I think I might have but basically the way you have to do it now is you can use this thing called wormholes to assign a value to one of the 26 letters of the alphabet and that's all you get is 26 variables um, and you can reuse those variables as many times as you need um, and that's one way to sort of get variables but uh, it's not really designed to be used like that more than anything I'm pretty sure the the splash text for the wormholes state that they're just really there to clean up your code 
Um, but there's other stuff too. And uh, there's another thing that's missing is like if then statements or if then else statements. And you can kind of create those by chaining different programming logic pieces together. But it would be nice if, at the very least, if then was in the game. Um, and you can sort of do that, again. But you have to chain multiple different logical statements together. And when you're in a, in a situation like with Game Builder Garage, where you have a lot of Nodon you can use, but you do have a limited number, it would be preferred if you were able to use more condensed statements and you didn't have to program out your own logic grids like that um and there's some other minor ones missing as well but either way very impressive over the board there's not really any way to store stuff to memory either per se you get some basic variable support but you can't make like lists or anything like that and i know most people who are working with game builder garage are definitely not looking for that complex level of stuff so that's kind of in a way them really targeting their audience which I'm going to get into that later, but Game Builder Garage is definitely a lot smaller than in scope than something like Dreams or Unity or even Unreal Engine, which also uses visual scripting to start out. Um, but there's lots of different other available programs if you want to get into more robust stuff. That's definitely not what Game Builder Garage is trying to target. Um, but continuing on here, I want to talk about some more of the more interesting nodons. So there's a music note on where basically it lets you play background music in your game. Um, and basically the way they handled this is there is like five different songs in the game. And the different songs, you can choose what instruments you want to play them. Um, and you can turn certain instruments on and off to make the songs more or less complex depending on sort of what you need for your game if that makes any sense. So you could essentially have, like, just a slight piano tune going, or you could add, like, drums to that, or all sorts of different things. So the background music system is fairly robust, and the fact that it lets you um, sort of pick instruments individually, but it also is interesting in the sense that it kind of does limit you to certain songs and certain types of songs, I guess you could say. You can make your own music by playing different notes, but it's very rudimentary, and it involves setting up timers and all sorts of things like that. There's no music producing in Game Builder Garage. That's a little beyond the scope, just like um, what I mentioned before. But Dreams does have music producing if you are interested in getting into something a little more complex. If you're more of a complex person, I'm going to say that right now, you probably want to look into Dreams if you have a PlayStation instead of this, because this is definitely less complex in every single way than Dreams is. Um, but that being said, I am going to get into how they're targeting different audiences later on and all that jazz. Um, now I want to talk about the special slash other category for a moment. There's a couple things that come to mind um, when I think about that category. There's stuff like comments. The game actually supports adding comments to certain parts of your code, which is interesting. It's honestly something that I thought they would leave out um, because I know they left it out of the Labo Garage, and I know the Labo Garage was even smaller in scope than Game Builder Garage, um, but I really didn't expect them to do a comment system in the game. Um, and likewise, there was 
there's also stuff like the um, I think the the wormhole nodes are actually in the other special category um, and a couple other things as well um, they they do give you some extra optional features that are very interesting and robust there's no way to like take certain chunks of code and condense them down into little pieces um, but they do have some very interesting other special functionality you can add with various different things uh, and speaking of special functionality, this is the first Nintendo Switch game, as far as I know, to actually support mouse. Uh, so you can plug in any USB mouse into your Switch dock and use it in Game Builder Garage. And honestly, if you're going to play Game Builder Garage and you want to make something a little more serious than a basic game, I definitely recommend a mouse. A mouse is a godsend in this game. And it really makes navigating and throwing together games a lot easier. Um, and it also helped me to discover kind of like a hidden feature in Game Builder Garage, uh, which is the ability to multi-select and multi-copy chunks of your code, um, which is something they don't really flat out tell you, I guess, in the game. Um, but I did discover it when I was trying to click and drag and I accidentally double-clicked and it started making a little box for selection. I was like, oh, holy crap, you can multi-select? And then I thought I could multi-copy and multi-delete that way. Um, it's actually fairly robust, the mouse support they have in the game, and I was surprised. Coming from a Nintendo game, I did not expect mouse support at all, let alone uh, this robust of mouse support. And it's really nice to see, and it's very non-Nintendo for them to include mouse support like this. Um, and mechanically, that's some of the more interesting stuff. I also wanted to talk about cameras really quickly for a moment, because the way they handled the camera system is so simple... And it's restrictive in some ways, but it honestly works really well and it's really easy to understand for people once you realize how it works. So there's like a couple different types of cameras and the ones that I've used mainly are these two. There's Game Screen and Game Screen is for 2D games where you're just going to have the camera panning around more than anything. Um, and then there's also one just called Camera and Camera is more for 3D games than anything. Um... But camera was actually, uh, it's actually very robust as far as what it can do. There's also like a first person and a third person camera built into the game. Um, but I found it easier for myself to actually turn the regular camera object node on into a, uh, into a third person or first person camera by editing its properties. That worked a little better for me. Um, the actual separate cameras for those things were a little more confusing than just modifying the properties for the regular camera. Um, but they also have things like, I'm pretty sure there's like a head module, and basically the head module is the very sort of overly complex way that you can add HUDs to your game. You're really not supposed to be able to add HUDs, um, but what you can do is you can actually mount different... Um, you can mount different objects to your to your character's camera by attaching a head node on to your, your character's camera or your player's camera view. And what the head node on does is it's basically an attachment point for different objects. So essentially what you can do with that and how I had to make a HUD for one of my games, which I'm going to get into the different games I'm working on here in a little bit, is I had to make a camera node on. And I had to attach a head node on, which you can, like, attach different objects using, like, sort of like a rudimentary um, parent-child system, if you're familiar with programming. Or 
just linking them if you want me to say it in more simple terms um and you attach the head note on to the camera note on which makes it so they're stuck together and then from there you can attach other things to the head note on and adjust their offset and positioning um to make a very simple hud and later on in this podcast i'm actually going to share my creator code so you'll be able to go check that out otherwise i found a tutorial on youtube that showed me how to do this and it was very helpful and it helped me make uh, some hud elements for one of my games that i was working on and the system is very complex but when you figure it out and you figure out what makes it tick and you figure out how to make it work you feel like a genius because you can tell it wasn't really designed to be a hud system but it works and it's really impressive um and the last thing I wanted to talk about, and a, something that kind of people were concerned about when this game got announced that this sort of fixes and addresses, is people saw that this game was reusing a bunch of assets from Nintendo Labo's different games, and people were worried that you weren't going to be able to create your own unique-looking games with Game Builder Garage, and I just wanted to shut that down right away. There's an output note on in the special output note on section um that's called a texture node on and the texture node on opens up a simple pixel art grid which lets you design textures for any face of any surface of any object and you can toggle the visibility on them so you can actually use this to make invisible objects visible at certain times um and you can also use this with like text node ons i found you can make a transparent texture and you can set it to invisible and it'll make the whole object invisible. But when you turn the texture on, it'll make it so you can see the text. So what I used that for was I used that to actually figure out how to do um, appearing and disappearing splash text for different tutorial sections in one of my games. Um, it's actually really cool. And I'm gonna get into that next actually, how a big part of this game is actually solving the puzzles related to game building itself and that's sort of like the secret fun of this game is sitting down and problem solving and figuring out and working through how to solve the puzzle how to solve the problems you encounter throughout the game trying to make your game um, and how to get around the restrictions set in place by the game builder garage engine itself in a way, Nintendo making such a simplistic tool has made it so fun to try to figure out how to make it do complex things. And we're going to get into that next. So let's talk about sort of what the surprise uh, fun that I found in Game Builder Garage was. The day the game released, I was sitting at my house... Um, and I was working through the first tutorial and then eventually going into free programming and fucking around. Um, and I was working on a game called Ball for the Course, which I'm going to talk about later on. It's one of the projects that I'm working on in Game Builder Garage. Basically, I had to take a sphere and make it so I could move the sphere with the control stick so I could have it as the player controller. Um, but the thing is, unless if I used some sort of modification to the player controller or the person controller note on I was stuck with a regular sphere that was rolling in the directions of the control stick which is good enough 
but I did not get any interacting functions with that, and I did not get any jumping functions with that. Um, so what I ended up having to do was program my own jump physics for the game, um, and sort of do a combination of increasing elevation at a certain speed and decreasing elevation at a certain speed over the course of a certain amount of time to create that effect of gravity pulling on the ball as it jumps in the air. Um, and it took me a while to perfect it. And what actually uh, was really interesting was sort of the puzzle that was perfecting the jump physics for my ball game. Um, and after a little while, my friend messaged me and he saw that I was playing the new Game Builder Garage and he asked me if I wanted to come over and hang out. Um, and I was like, sure. So we uh, met up at his house and I brought my Switch and I brought Game Builder Garage and I, bought a, I brought a mouse along as well. And we spent probably a good five hours or so just screwing around and working through different programming problems and solutions together in Game Builder Garage. And it was really, really fun. I was surprised how much fun it was to sit down and do some problem solving. Um, and honestly, it was like the first time in my entire life where I think I've actually gotten the enjoyment I'm supposed to get out of programming. As many of you might know, for the longest time I was trying to go to college to become a programmer. And due to different financial reasons and various other factors, I actually had to stop. Um, and I remember feeling a lot of excitement for web programming and creating my first website. Um, and when I was learning some basic Python stuff, I had to make Conway's Game of Life. And I remember finishing that 14-hour project and being like, wow, I made it. Um, this was a very similar feeling, but it was a lot smaller scale. And it was a lot more quick to... Uh, it was a lot more quick to happen. It was more of an instantaneous programmer completion excitement thing. So basically, uh, with my friend Keenan's help, we perfected the jumping physics. And we spent time uh, nailing down certain other aspects of the game as well. Um, and that involved stuff like the camera... And I eventually got a HUD system working by doing some different um, tweaks and modifications and doing some Googling and looking around on Reddit and seeing what other people had ideas for. Um, and I got a decent amount of stuff up and running. And after I left, the only thing that was still a little messy with my game, and it still kind of is, and it's one of the reasons why I've been having trouble getting back into it as much as I was the first day it came out, um, my characters when my character's in the air it controls really fluidly like there's no resistance when it's in the air and the controls in no way are actually affected by the um by the ball being in the air so basically it's just as easy to control the ball in the air as it is to control the ball on the ground which is good and bad um, but it definitely makes the game feel a lot less realistic than I was going for. The speed that my ball moves at and the height that my ball can jump at are very much fairly realistic. But the way that the ball is controlled is so one-to-one -one and so fast-paced 
that it does not feel on par as far as quality goes um, with the rest of the game's physics. Uh, and I've had a decent amount of trouble actually figuring out how to fix that, and I think I might have figured it out just thinking about it for this podcast. So, essentially, there is this middle node on called map, which maps a certain range of values to another range of values. And I'm thinking about this, and maybe I can find some way to map a map the controls um, and the strength of the input to a more easily uh, multiplied and divided number. Because I think right now it's just sort of... I think it goes up to 250 in either direction and all the way down to negative 250 in either direction. And then you can get decimal values and stuff like that. I wonder if there's any way where I could map that to make it in between like 10 and 0 or something like that. Negative 10, 0. And then I could take that number and divide it by 2 to slow down the ball when it's in the air. I wonder if there's something I could do with that. And now I'm really curious, just thinking about this, if using the map middle node on, I could find some way to actually fix the physics system in my ball game and make it feel a little more fluid and make it feel a little more natural. Because I actually booted up Dreams the other day as well. Because I wanted to see how the ball style of gameplay could actually be created in Dreams. And it turns out they actually have a ball controller built into Dreams. Um, And there's a lot more ball-based games available in Dreams as is. Tons of people have made Super Monkey Ball clones. Um, Tons of people have made Marble Marble Madness clones. There's lots of different games available with ball tracks and courses and things on Dreams. And I was actually very surprised to see that. Um, and Dreams itself actually comes with a pre-made um, rolling ball character that you can drop in and control automatically with your controller, and it feels fairly realistic. Um, and so, like half the work that it took me to make the ball and make it controllable in Dream or not in Dreams in Game Builder Garage would have already been done for me if I would have started uh, with Dreams instead. But that being said, Dreams is definitely a lot more complicated of a program. Um, And there's a lot more going on. So I think the simplicity of Game Builder Garage allows it to be more accessible and allows someone with more limited programming knowledge to more easily figure out solutions to problems. And I think that the secret fun to be had in Game Builder Garage that people don't think about when they pick up the game is in those little problem-solving sessions where you figure something out, and when you do, you feel so smart. And I think that's where Game Builder Garage's secret brilliance is. They managed to find tools that are simple enough that it's a lot more accessible to people than something like Dreams or Unreal or Unity, where you have to watch hours and hours of tutorials. You can finish the seven Game Builder Garage game interactive lessons And you can be off to the races and you can be figuring out programming problems way, way, way faster than any other programming suite available to you. And figuring out those programming problems and finding your solutions is so fun. 
and it's something that I haven't experienced in a long time, and I think it's something me and my friend really had fun doing um, when we first tested out Game Builder Garage the day it came out. So in the garage itself, I've actually been working on two different projects. Uh, one is a very simple uh, button mashing game where basically you press the A button and it makes a counter tick up and depending on how many A presses there are on the counter, different little easter eggs happen and things like that. Um, for example, once it hits 69, I have the screen flash and it says nice. Um, or there could be like a 64 and it starts playing a Mario 64 song or all sorts of different things. Um, and that was sort of inspired loosely by a game off of Dreams where you had to press the X button and a counter ticked up. Um, and then also I'm working on a game called Ball for the Course, which is like a clone of uh, Marble Madness and like Super Monkey Ball and that kind of thing. There's lots of people doing the same thing. Um, but... Yeah, I'm sort of doing it my own way, and it's nowhere near as polished. Um, but it's sort of my own unique style and my own unique spin on it. Um, and I have some interesting special mechanics that I came up with um, involving, like, a, a battery meter charged jumping feature. So you can only jump twice, and then you have to roll over a power panel in order to recharge your jump meter. And that was... Uh, one of my ideas um, and there's sort of a couple games I'm working on in addition to that I wanted to share some of the things other people have been working on uh, so somebody's made like a first person FPS controller um, that makes it feel like you're playing Doom um, complete with multiple different weapons and a, a shoulder mounted grenade launcher like in Doom Eternal and all sorts of other stuff. Um, other people have made different things like Super Hots. Uh, somebody made a version of that. Uh, somebody made a GTA clone where you can drive a car around and jump out. And you can like terrorize people. It's pretty rudimentary, but I mean it still is more or less a clone. Um, and there's all the way up to even stuff like Mario Kart Super Circuit. And Mario Kart uh, on the SNES tracks recreated. And it's like 3D levels with 2D sprites driving around the track. And those are pretty cool. Um, and honestly, lots of people are releasing new projects every single day. Uh, just at the time of recording this, actually, somebody has released a fully functional uh, Pico 8 emulator for Game Builder Garage. Um, and, of course, it has some, like, cut-down restrictions compared to the official Pico 8 firmware. Um, but otherwise, it could run Pico 8 games on Game Builder Garage, which is pretty impressive. And if you don't know Pico 8, uh, Pico 8 is basically sort of its own little game engine. Um, and it's an imaginary 8-bit console um, that people can develop simple games using uh, a simple programming language. Not as simple as, like, Game Builder Garage, but, like, it's... It's simple in its own way, I guess you could say. It basically is, like, it's sort of, like, hearkening back to the NES days. And I could have a whole episode about Pico 8. Uh, but games like Celeste actually got their start on the Pico 8. And then the the version of Celeste that we know now 
is sort of like a remaster, expanded version of the Pico 8 game of Celeste. Um, and somebody made a fully functioning emulator that can run Pico 8 games on Game Builder Garage, which is pretty cool. Um, and I'm sure over the coming months, people will create crazier and crazier and crazier things. Um, and that's the thing, too. I wanted to get into this, and I think now's probably a good time. Um, the main competitor, as far as the game that is a game maker goes, uh, for Game Builder Garage, is, of course, Sony's game maker game which is called dreams and dreams is made by media molecule um the people who worked on little big planet back in the day and dreams lets you make everything you could imagine you can make 3d animations you can make music you can make art you can make games you can make so much different stuff on dreams it's insane um and dreams is a lot bigger scope than game builder garage and dreams has a lot more complexity and uh, more niche features. If you wanted to, you could make proper, full-length, like, AAA-quality games on Dreams, uh, all the way down to making custom music with its built-in music production suite, uh, which is similar to the likes of, like, Ableton or Fruity Loops or Logic, It's actually really robust and really cool. Um, And there's lots of tools for artists, and there's VR support, and you could do so much stuff with Dreams. And Dreams is basically like the big brother for Game Builder Garage in many ways. Um, Where Game Builder Garage is designed to be simple, introductory uh, programming for the masses, Um, Dreams is more a complete creative suite and it takes a lot of learning and it takes a lot of practice and it takes a lot of skill to make things uh, that are somewhat decent on dreams Um, whereas you can sort of just drop in the game builder garage with some basic programming knowledge and make some simple game and I think that's where sort of the difference between these two programs goes Um, game builder garage is definitely targeted towards a more casual audience who just wants to make a quick game or two whereas dreams is kind of trying to be a whole system if you will dreams lets you take everything from game building all the way up to music producing full-length feature animated film creation and all of that stuff um and Dreams is really, really impressive, and I definitely recommend recommend checking out Dreams if you have a PlayStation. It's basically Game Builder Garage, but on crack. Uh, and people have made some crazy thing in, things in Dreams as well. To go over a couple, perhaps the most popular one is somebody's working on a fan-made Avatar The Last Airbender game in Dreams. Um, that's super high quality and has like custom animations and a bunch of different attacks and abilities and they're working on adding skill trees to the game and turning it into a full-length avatar the last airbender themed rpg which is really awesome and not really something you'd expect from a fun little game builder tool or anything like that it's it's definitely more of a more of a production suite than game builder garage for sure um but that's sort of a little bit on what you can actually what actually is being made by me and others on Game Builder Garage. So 
so let's start with the conclusion here, folks. Um, and in addition to that, I want to talk a little more about this game versus Dreams. Um, so a big thing I was thinking about with Dreams is the people who worked on Dreams kind of almost would have been better off working on a PC version than a PlayStation version. Now, I know Media Molecule has always had its its uh, its hand in the PlayStation sphere of games um and little big planets always been on playstation and um so when dreams was announced nobody was surprised that it was a playstation exclusive but dreams is so complex and so fleshed out and so versatile for not only game making but also for animations for uh for music videos for music itself using the built-in uh, music sequencer that comes with dreams sculpting vr stuff there's l endless potential inside dreams and it's really held back by the console that it's stuck on i feel like as a keyboard and mouse game it would have worked a lot better and uh they really had a sort of like a missed opportunity there because if they would have put the same amount of effort into a pc game version of dreams it definitely would have done better than the playstation version did um but that being said dreams is an absolute delight to play and if you have a playstation you should definitely check it out and it's well worth your time uh tinkering with the tools um, but it really is designed to be more complex and to be able to be used to make full-sized games and art projects and all sorts of other things like that whereas game builder garage is definitely going for a much different niche um, and I think where Game Builder Garage has an advantage over Dreams is that it's a lot simpler to learn. Um, and it's very much more easy to pick up and play because of the fact that it's on the Switch. The Switch is a lot more akin to projects that are um, small and quickly worked on in little chunks. Sorry, I'm passing somebody. Um... Whereas Dreams has such a higher scope than Game Builder Garage, it's almost held back by the fact that it's on a console and you can't use a keyboard and mouse. Game Builder Garage is really perfectly suited for the hardware it's on. The Switch is the perfect console to have a casual game building app on. Um, and the fact that you can just kind of like take your Switch around with you and dock it up at your friend's house and show them the games you made is really kind of awesome. And collaboratively working on a game like me and my friend Keenan did the other day was something that like was way funner than I thought it would be. And I do like as well that they gave the option for you to plug in a mouse and use it with Game Builder Garage. I think Dreams could have used keyboard and mouse support like desperately. I guess it's a little more uh, quick to play if you use the PlayStation Move camera and the Move controllers. Um, but truly the keyboard and mouse would have suited dreams very very well but that being said game builder garage's scope is a lot smaller so it works out a lot better and honestly i can see myself actually making stuff for a lot longer on game builder garage i'd have to spend so much time to learn dreams to make anything somewhat decent especially compared to everybody else on dreams already making amazing stuff like, I went on there for research before this podcast to refresh myself on what Dreams is like compared to Game Builder Garage. 
And there's some people doing some fucking insane shit on there. There were so many ball course games, like the one that I'm making, that were a hundred times better than what I've started working on on Game Builder Garage. Um, but with the limitations of Game Builder Garage in mind, that sort of narrows the gap a little bit and makes it more impressive. Uh, so I want to emphasize Game Builder Garage is definitely for a much different audience than Dreams. If you liked Dreams, there's a good chance you'll like Game Builder Garage. Just make sure you manage your expectations and remember that creativity can come out of the restrictiveness of the tools. Um, but if you're somebody who wants to just fucking go crazy and create tons of unique and special stuff, go for Dreams. Something that Dreams has that's really, really awesome that I wish Game, I wish game Builder Garage did um, is you can like even put in custom sound effects and custom textures and stuff like that that you can pull off of other things. Um, and both the controller on the PlayStation 5 and the PlayStation 4 with a headset plugged in allow you to use a microphone with Dreams to record your own sound bites, which is really nice. There's just so much more versatility with Dreams, and if I had to pick one or the other, I would definitely go for Dreams for the simple fact that it's so robust, and it would provide me more hours of entertainment than Game Builder Garage, but Game Builder Garage is so much more accessible um, that in many ways it's more fun, and it's so much less complicated that it really is um, fun to make games quickly on, and they can be crude and it's sort of acceptable on Game Builder Garage, um, but if you make a crude game on Dreams, it looks a lot worse compared to all of the amazing stuff people are putting out. Uh, my main complaints about Game Builder Garage are they in, it could use a little more fleshing out than it currently has. Um, some more logic operators like if, then, else, that kind of thing, um, without having to sort of program them yourself, would benefit Game Builder Garage greatly. I also think that there should be like a storage node on, which basically will store a value for you. Instead of having like a wormhole, um, entrance and exit, I think that there should be an actual like storage node on or a variable node on. Um, and likewise, there's no online uh, like game sharing built into Game Builder Garage like there is on Dreams. You sort of have to go to Reddit or one of the many websites that are trying to corner the market and being the Game Builder Garage uh, game sharing hub and find your games on there. And it's a little bit tedious compared to Dreams. With Dreams, you just find it, uh, play it, move on to the next game. You can like it to save it for later if you want to come back to it, vice versa. It's really just like, it's fun to drop into Dreams. Whereas with Game Builder Garage, it's much more of a commitment to sit down and find some games on there to play. Um, but that being said, I am legitimately enjoying Game Builder Garage. And for the price of $30, which I think is probably the first time Nintendo's actually released a title that's not $60, like, on purpose in quite a while. Um, I think Game Builder Garage is an absolute steal, and I can totally see myself coming back to it, keeping up the work on my game. Uh, and while it is hard to find motivation when you see how much better people are doing than you, it really is so fun to have those eureka moments and figure out different mechanics and how to program certain things that you were trying to for your game um, 
and I think Game Builder Garage is a step in the right direction. It would really, really, really be awesome if Nintendo took this opportunity that they have before them and updated Game Builder Garage and kept adding new features because I see a lot of potential here. And somebody could totally do this, but better if they wanted to. I could see something similar to this on PC getting thrown onto Steam with Steam Workshop support just going fucking crazy and just blowing up like it's nobody's business. Like, imagine if you could... if, if Imagine if Game Builder Garage was on PC and uh, you could import textures from files and you had keyboard and mouse support as well as controller support through Steam's excellent controller support library. Um, and maybe people could upload more than just games to the workshop. Maybe you could have like packs of textures and packs of sounds and you could have like meme packs where it's like oh this is a pack of Danny DeVito images to include in your games in Game Builder Garage or something like that this game would absolutely flourish on PC so would Dreams, Dreams even more so I would just, I think if one of the two had to get ported, Dreams would be the way to go for sure, Dreams would be so great on PC um I really think somebody needs to step up and make this sort of game game builder game for PC in some shape or another. Um, and I know a lot of people are scared to do it because of Unity and Unreal Engine and all these other big budget engines available on PC already. But I think if people had a really simple, easy-to-use game-making tool or story-making tool or video-making tool... Um, I'm talking like, imagine if Tomorrow Dreams released on Steam for $60 and it could do everything it could do already at the very least and have keyboard and mouse support. I, it would already be one of the most popular games on Steam. I'm going to say it. Um, but I just wanted to share some of my thoughts on Game Builder Garage, on Dreams, and on the game building game genre as a whole. There's plenty of other ones out there. I know they have a hundred different versions of RPG Maker that you can get on like the Wii and the DS and the Switch and there's so many different game making games out there but it's really great to see Dreams and Game Builder Garage take off and have a huge audience and I just wish they would do something like this on PC. I tell you what, I would dedicate my entire freaking life to working on a game on Dreams if it was on PC. I would have so much fun with it but uh, that's where we're at, folks. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Switched Podcast. Uh, make sure you stay tuned for more on Dreams and maybe some other gaming topics as well. I don't know why I said it like that. Next week, we'll definitely be talking about something completely different. Um, but I appreciate your support anyway, so thanks for listening. Bye-bye.